Hello, this is a trigger warning. This episode includes possibly triggering topics, including sexual violence, drugs, alcohol, and non-consensual acts. If you find any or all of these topics triggering, please click away now. Your well-being is important to us. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy this episode of Aim for Change. Hi everyone, I'm Holin. And I'm Clara. And welcome to the first episode of the newest AIM Awareness podcast. This is our new series called Let's Talk. This episode we will be discussing party culture at university, specifically focusing on the rise of spiking in nightclubs which has increased in recent months. This episode will discuss party culture, spiking, sexual violence and how we as a community can look out for each other. We are joined today by Gabriella Thompson from Our Bodies, Our Voice, a nonprofit foundation that aims to prevent sexual violence and establish consent culture at universities in Europe. Hi, Gabriella, and thank you for joining us today. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about what Our Bodies, Our Voice does as an organization. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, so as an organization, kind of, a, as you said, we um, aim to prevent sexual violence at universities within the university context. So we give workshops to students, associations, staff, literally any stakeholder within the university that has some sort of power over the culture that we sustain and how we uh, situate ourselves with different types of people. And uh, so we give those workshops about different topics like boundaries, communication, consent, bystander intervention, active listening, essentially anything that dismantles the stigma surrounding sexual violence and provides tools for people to support survivors and really just works on establishing consent culture in all types of situations, whether it's intimate or just our regular daily lives and student lives, obviously. And we also uh, partake in survivor support groups that we have one called CARE here at Amsterdam. It's called CARE Amsterdam. It's a joint uh, partnership with the University of Amsterdam, the chief diversity officer team here. So that's really exciting. Um, but yeah, just in general, we have like these different subgroups, especially the, the OBOV UFA student board here that focuses on awareness campaigns. So we're kind of in any corner that we can reach. That's kind of where we throw ourselves at. So could you tell us a bit about your role within Our Bodies, Our Voice? So my role in the foundation, the official title is project manager. So I do the intake meetings with clients to really get an idea of what they're looking for, what they want, the students, associations or staff, you know, whoever we're getting the workshops to, uh, you know, what they want them to get out of it. I deliver the workshops themselves, which is a really cool opportunity for me. And in general, I do follow up sessions, um, especially with associations who want to have help with like policy making or, you know, departments within the university who don't have any sort of reporting structures and want that, that extra, you know, expertise in that way. Um, but essentially I do a little bit of everything across the company and <laughs> I have some lovely assistants and interns who receive like, you know, sometimes college credits and such, but it's, yeah, it's really volunteer based and it's trying to get everybody from different areas of the university involved because that's basically my experience. Like I was a student at some point, I worked for the university as a resident assistant at our dormitories. And then now as an external person, I kind of come in with all the, the different types of perspectives and, you know, that insight that says these are little things that you can do to make a difference and yeah so that's basically what I do pretty impressive <laughs> <Not> <laughs> thank you lie. um maybe we can 
dive right in. And what can you tell us? What can students expect when they start university life and get into party culture, especially for first and second years here at PPLE? Yeah, I mean, it really depends where people come from, you know, because I come from Germany and, you know, coming to the Netherlands, it's not really that much of a culture clash. It's quite similar. Um, but if you come from America, let's say, and you've never had alcohol before, then it's it's quite a big jump. And I think, yeah, it really depends on your experience and what what kind of person you are, because some people just don't enjoy partying. And then all of a sudden they come to university and are expected for an entire week to go to parties every evening. And like, that's the only social thing that's available. Um, and I think that has changed over time. But when I was studying in 2015, like if you weren't drinking, you weren't socializing, like you weren't meeting other people. Um, and if you went to these events without drinking, then you'd be peer pressured or, you know, judged quite a lot. And then just in general, be a really negative experience. It just depends what you've experienced before and how much confidence you have in yourself and your choices. And I think more and more that's changing and they're offering non-alcoholic options. But generally with student culture, it's often this mentality of like, you don't want to be a buzzkill or like ruin the party or be the odd one out and just go with the flow. And obviously like FOMO, fear of missing out is quite common. Um, so in general, like students feel this everlasting pressure to just be involved and do things and drink and stuff. And that just, it can cause a lot of issues for people and a lot of, uh, in general, just not the best experience to start off with, which can then also be a clash in itself. Yeah, so like you said, there's a lot of pressure coming um, from other students and also university culture in general of drinking and partying. Maybe people are exposed to new experiences like drugs or sex. Um, maybe what advice could you give to people um, coming to this university to be able to say no and knowing that that it doesn't have to be their whole university experience there's a lot of responsibility in terms of the people that organize certain events like they should have inclusive events of different types of things for people to do um but as yourself obviously knowing that it's completely okay to not do what everybody else is doing and knowing that that first few, like those first few weeks are not gonna like you said dictate mm -hmm. your entire experience and actually if you don't cross your own boundaries or sacrifice your own boundaries you'll feel a lot better later on about it than trying to do what somebody else wants you to do and obviously if you're interested in trying new things and want to like check it out of course that's like your prerogative but um people pressuring you to do things says more a lot about them rather than about like what you're willing to do or what you're okay with. It's it's more about the fact that they feel the need to, to put you in a corner or try to coerce you into doing things. And they should be reflective on their behavior. And in general, just thinking about within two or three years, you're probably not gonna remember <laughs> those first few weeks and you're just kind of, especially if you drink quite a lot, you'll definitely not remember in general, but it's worth like taking those two extra seconds to really be like, yeah, what, what kind of experience do I, I want to have? What can I do to make that happen? What can others do to make that happen? Um, so then if you're like, I don't want to drink and I don't want to be pre peer pressured into it, then if someone comes up to you and starts to do it, you're like, nope, I've thought about this. I'm not going to let you like railroad me into something I don't want to do. And you know, whether someone reacts well to that is like up to them, obviously, but at least you know like it has nothing to do with you and it's all a reflection of their behavior and the impact that they're creating. The biggest point I want to make is that in the first few weeks of college that's where you 
you're just figuring literally everything out. Like you have no idea what's going on, who these people are, or especially if you're not in front of the Netherlands and at PPLE, you're just really trying to situate yourself in a completely new environment. Just not being hard on yourself and knowing that it's going to be okay either way is kind of, yeah, the main advice I would give. Mm -hmm. That's a really important message. And especially the first and second years at PPLE or in general, the people born in 2000 to now almost 2003, a lot of us are only turning 18 now or turn 18 during COVID. So it's truly a very, very drastic and new experience that we all get into. Most people don't probably don't come from big cities or environments that, that have this, um, yeah, mm-hmm. party culture. Yeah, because even though I, w- I was used to, in terms of party culture, like the drinking side of it and going to clubs and stuff, I was not used to being in, you know, at the Amsterdam University College, it's like dormitories, it's three buildings, everybody lives together. There's only one building with all the classes. So you just, you're with people all the time. Everybody knows each other's business. And so like, if you do one stupid drunk thing, like the whole school knows. And PPLE is quite closed off in that bubble-like way as well, where, yeah, just people are super international and from different places and have so many different experiences. And yet we're all expected to sort of like connect and and just Definitely. deal with it at the same time and that's just it's so much pressure and it's it's it can go nuclear very fast mm-hmm. and a lot of people feel bad about it or like blame themselves for like certain things and it's like you know you're doing the best that you can with with what you have so you just gotta just keep on going I guess yeah. and just I think the other biggest point is if everybody took those few extra seconds to really think about what kind of person do I want to be what impact do I want to have on other people? Then already you're taking like a million steps forward towards improving social safety because you're preventing miscommunications and misunderstandings and causing unnecessary anguish that is just that just doesn't need to happen because people are in their own little world and they're not, you know, walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. And because we're in such an international environment, like that's what we should be doing in the first place. But then they think, oh, consent is common knowledge or boundaries are common knowledge. And it's like, if you had sex education, it was probably quite limited. And some people just didn't have anything at all. So we're really, like I said, we're doing the best that we can with what we have, but some people are just not really taking those extra steps to be like, okay, if it's just me by myself, of course, that's, I'll just do whatever I want. And like, that's my life. But as soon as I involve other people or like their interactions with groups of people, then I have to think about what's my impact, whether it's actions or words. Like that's just, if everybody really thought about that for even just a few minutes, that would just make the world of a difference for other people's experiences for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think self-reflection is really important as well, because sometimes you don't even realize that you're adding to this peer pressure yourself. Um, so yeah, what you said is really important and I think everyone could benefit from doing that. Um, so we talked about like having a lot of new experiences when you come to universities and one of those might be experiencing nightclubs, um, which a lot of people have experienced before or could be experiencing for the first time. Um, and recently we've seen a lot of news with regards to nightclubs and the issues of spiking. Um, could you give us some more information on that and what has been happening? 
Um, yeah. So when people hear the term spiking, they immediately think it's like injection based. And like, that is true. That is a, a way of spiking, but there are a few different methods in terms of, so in its entirety, the, the whole thing is that it's without your knowledge and without your consent and to the, the aim is to debilitate you in some way, whether to assault you or to steal from you or to just, yeah, make you vulnerable. Um, and like the first way of spiking could be that you have a non-alcoholic drink and then someone puts alcohol in it without your knowledge and without your consent. Um, the second is that you have an alcoholic drink and someone puts more alcohol in it. Uh, the third being drugs in your drink or like within a beverage of some kind. And the the other one, of the last one being via injection, via syringe. And in general, so like that's why like Spiking doesn't have to go as far as like drugs being added to it. It could also just be simply like alcohol being added without your consent and without you knowing. Um, and in general, like it could be the date rape drug, uh, GHB, illegal drugs in general, but it can also just like be prescription drugs that someone just got and then decided to give it to somebody else. So I would want to know what are the intentions behind spiking? Yeah, I mean, so what's really interesting about the cases that have happened, especially in Amsterdam recently, is that like a lot of the the victims like just have this big gap in their memory, like from or at least from my understanding, they weren't assaulted or stolen from or anything like that. So a lot of people assume that like maybe it was just a ego power trip, something like that to be like, oh, these are like dangerous things that I can get away with. Um, but in general, yeah, it is to make somebody vulnerable for like future more extreme cases. But yeah, I, I think especially with depending what they gave you and how much they gave you, like that can really, I guess, situate what the whole intention was or like what the, they thought the outcome was, because depending on what they gave you, that can impact your symptoms. But also if you're like a tall person, a big person, um, or like a sporty person, or, you know, whether you had alcohol that entire night and then was spiked or it happened right at the beginning, like all these different factors impact how the situation will, you know, influence you. Um, so I think, unless they have a very uh, explicit plan, there are many different intentions behind it and it could just be a spontaneous like on the go power trip as well. Is there any way that I could know that I've been spiked or somebody else? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really difficult because all the symptoms are relative to even just being drunk or, you know, extremely tired. It, like it depends on the type of sy symptom like, you could feel drunker if you already had alcohol, a loss of balance, confusion, nausea, vomiting, unconsciousness, dizziness, like, and it can go as far as like hallucinating or sweating a lot, paranoia. Generally, amnesia is like one of the big ones, but, you know, depending if you've ever like drank before or like, you know, your body and what it feels like, like, it really depends if you're aware of that extent. But I think the general idea is that if you feel strange, off, weak, or, you know, sick in any way, and you kind of just can't figure out how that came about, whether you're like, I haven't drank that much, this isn't normal, or like, I haven't drank anything, why do I feel this way? Or like, there's no logical explanation as to why I'm feeling this right at this moment. Um, I think that in general, like, that's 
the instigation where you just be like, I need to ask for help or I need to talk to somebody. And then if someone tells you that, that you just immediately believe them and try to get them help in whatever shape or form that might be. But in general, I think it's, it's really just trusting your gut and trusting your body and being like, okay, this is not totally normal. And then of course, flicking away the, <laughs> the victim blaming demon that tells you like, oh, you're fine. Or like, it'll go away and such because the symptoms can take hours to go away, if not, you know, the entire night. So if you feel bad and you're kind of like, oh, it'll go away at some point and then it's still not going away, like you should just trust your gut and be like, I'm not feeling okay. I don't understand why I need help and vice versa. And if you do experience spiking when on a night out, um, who can you go to if this happens to you? Yeah, I think in general, I mean, it depends if it's um, like a student organized event, like any organizers or bouncers, bartenders, anybody with some form of authority, hopefully they will have some information or like they can be the next step to like refer you to somebody else. Um, but it also depends if you're there with your friends or people that you trust, you know, because of course going to somebody with authority is is quite important because then you know you have some form of security and such. But like if you have your friends there, like then the people you trust should be the ones that either take you home or, you know, go see a doctor or something like that. I always encourage people to call 112 or like even the non-emergent police um, just to let somebody know like, hey, this is happening. We're not really sure what to do, but you should at least get tested within the next like 72 hours, whether that's going to the hospital that night or going to see your GP the next day. Like it should be something that's taken into consideration. And in general, it depends what you're comfortable with. Like no one should feel pressured to, to go to a hospital if you're not comfortable with that or call the police if you're not comfortable with that. Like it's completely up to you. But if your symptoms are bad and are lasting a long period of time, that should just be something that's taken care of by a professional. I definitely agree with what you just said. And thinking of other venues and clubs and bars in general, in your opinion, what changes need to be made to stop spiking or just in general assault or sexual violence from happening? So there's multiple layers to this answer in terms of like culture based. There should be some accessibility in terms of like awareness about the topic, whether that's having posters about it in the bathrooms or like discussions about it, especially if it's like a student led event. There should be some form of awareness of like an awareness campaign online or like talk about it, a workshop, whatever it may be. Like people need to know that bad stuff happens, you know, whether you try to 100 percent prevent it or not, like it's not something that's generally like inevitable in that way, but bad stuff does happen and it's something that we should take into consideration. And that's not to say be scared of going out or like this is something that we should all be afraid of, but it is something that particularly happens to to women. And in general, it is like not the safest environment out there. And it, there's just little ways that can make the world of a difference for people's experience in terms of like having a safety person at the door, like a, a sober person, whether that's a student or somebody more professional in that sense of having a, a vibrant or neon uh, like vest that says like safety or something like that, then you know like that's the one person that you need to go to if you need help. And they, they're there either to provide it if they have first responder training or they know exactly who to call for specific scenarios. Um, so in terms of like having the bar crew or a safety person or something like that or like making sure that people feel safe like whilst coming in or like being in, in the venue itself like those are like little things that can be done that you know it makes things accessible but also makes things 
a little bit easier for people to be like, oh, if something bad happens, like I can just ask them or if I have questions that we can just talk about it and stuff. It doesn't have to be like you experience the worst of the worst. That's the only time that you can, because that's what people feel like when they're calling the police. It's like, oh, but maybe it'll go away. Like the symptoms or like, maybe I'll just, I'll feel better. And like, I'm making a big deal out of nothing. And it's going to be like uh, such a waste of time for these people. So just having a, a few levels below whether it's like a safety person at the door or like saying if you guys need any help the bouncer's here for that you know just something like that would really help people you know understand their own sort of victim blaming dialogue that's internal that says like you're making a big deal out of nothing or like you should just get over it or just <laughs> stop ruining the mood and stuff and be like oh no like i don't have to go as far as calling the police there's somebody here that's specifically for me if i need it um, so just little stuff like that, but just in general, like spreading awareness about the different things that can happen is like a culture-based preventative measure that can really like help people understand certain stuff. And again, impact the internal victim blaming, because instead of not knowing what these things are, or what it feels like, or, you know, questioning it all the time, they can really be like, oh no, I relate to this specific label. This makes sense. This is what happened to me. And then they accept it themselves and understand that it's, it's okay. And they deserve to be valued and listened to and receive the help that they want and or need mm -hmm. if I, that makes sense <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense yeah um i mean you sort of also already touched on this just at the end there but how can we ensure that the narrative of this topic does not switch to one of victim blaming because we don't always want to be telling women how they should dress or how they should act on a night out the issue is more the root problem of stopping people spiking in the first place so yeah, how do we ensure that the narrative of this topic, it doesn't become victim blamey and that we focus on the root problem? Yeah, no, for sure. A lot of people have a problem with addressing this in the first place because they think um, a campaign that says like, don't assault somebody, you know, they're like, that's not going to make an impact. That's not going to reach people. And like, I agree to an extent, like, of course, that's not going to reach the people that you want it to. And it's also not going to make people reflect on their behavior, it's just gonna make them think like whatever, or just not, uh, it's not gonna impact them in the way that you want it to. But having these um, posts that says like, how to be safe on a night out, and then like one step is cover your drink the whole night, and the second step is like, only be with friends the entire night. Like, not only are you putting the entire narrative on the victim's actions and like how they handle the situation, but you're giving people a reason to find loopholes and question survivors' experiences by being like, oh, but did you do step one, two, and three? Mm. So you weren't entirely safe the whole night. Like, were you asking for it? Did you want some of it? Like, come on, you know, that type of things. And then of course people then think, oh, but I didn't, there was like five minutes where I didn't look at my drink. Like I'm the one that caused this. I'm to one, the one to blame and such. So it's, it's really both internal and external victim blaming that can come a lot just by how something is phrased. And um, so I do think that, you know, spreading awareness in terms of saying like, it's never your fault if something bad happens, like people are deciding to do things, you know, whether it is intentional or not, like someone decided to do something without your consent and did not think about the consequences or how that would impact you. That has literally nothing to do with you. It has to do with what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do whatever. But just in real time, you deserve to be listened to, valued, and like I said, receive the help that you want and or need. And nobody gets to decide whether they hurt you or not. And especially if it's something as extreme as spiking, 
like your safety was in jeopardy. Your entire like bodily autonomy was taken away from you. And it's, it's such a terrible situation. And like, you don't need to experience the worst of the worst to, to get that help and to be respected. And I think a lot of, you know, awareness that is phrased a little bit more, I guess, appropriately. And just if people who made campaigns like this took those two extra seconds to be like, okay, if I was somebody where I was just spiked and I read this, would it like victim blame me? And then they kind of like go through the the phrasing and the word cho choice that they use. And they're like, okay, yeah, here, this could, this would make me feel a little bit bad, you know, and then rephrased it into a different way, a little bit more open-minded, or at least, you know, not in that direction that they were previously going like that already could make such a big difference because then not only are they thinking like, oh, this is good, but they're like, how is it going to impact the people that are reading it or have experiences or are scared to experience this, experiencing it. And yeah, so I think awareness campaigns that are appropriately phrased is really good. Having workshops about this topic, because essentially the problem that we come across quite often is people get into this room of, of having a workshop and they're like, you're preaching to the choir. Like you're talking to the people who, who think this is important and want to work on it. You're not really talking to the perpetrators or the ones that are causing harm and such. And, you know, a lot of sexual harassment or just, you know, like, bad stuff that happens at university or between students, it is often a misunderstanding and a miscommunication and it is unintentional. And some people like really hurt others without even thinking about it. And so generally culture wise, like we just want people to reflect on their behavior. And of course you can't hundred percent prevent hurting others, but there are a lot of steps you can take before that happens. And so, you know, not necessarily that uh, people have the idea, I'm going to go out and like spike somebody tonight, but like it could be that it's just, it is a fleeting thought that comes about and hopefully we inspire them to, to reflect and really think about what they're doing and how they're impacting others. So maybe they're not in the room when the workshop is happening and maybe they're not uh, the ones that are looking at the campaigns, but everybody else is and they know what's okay and what isn't and what should be tolerated. And as soon as we stop accepting the things at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, sexist attitudes, rape jokes, uh, banter in terms of like just any sort of comment or action or joke in quote marks that comes at the expense of somebody else. As soon as we tackle the small stuff, then the big things will actually feel like big things to the people who actually do them. Because right now they think like, oh, I can get away with it. Or like, this is just, this is nothing, you know? Um, so I think it really is a big culture problem. And in terms of like, you know, victim blaming and such, like it's an internal and external thing that both need to be taken into consideration. And universities could do a lot of good by involving students to really understand their perspective and such. Cause that's, that's the other thing is that not only do students sometimes feel like the university does not care about their experience or what they're going through uh, because of this sort of formulated statements or something, but it's just also, there should be some form of connection and responsibility that the university has to, to take care of their students in the community and understand like what they're going through and the things that happen. Um, so yeah, I think there are a lot of ways uh, to prevent it going down a victim blaming uh, direction and it only takes like a little bit of extra thinking and involving other perspectives and recognizing those different experiences that you might not relate to and maybe your friends don't relate to but it could be somebody else's experience and then that's worth noting and taking into consideration okay great thank you that's that was really valuable and like I took on something myself that I feel like it 
can be on such like an individual personal level as well as like an institutional level and like a societal problem yeah and um, i think that that's what universities are like oh yeah. we can't solve everybody's problem or like there's there's no way that we can impact positively like to every single person it's like no okay i get that you you might not reach every single person but you can reach the culture that's is sustained here and if you tolerate like little things and don't address the big things appropriately you're just you're sustaining rape culture and you're sustaining like this this mentality that you know oh bad things happen you'll you'll move on or like it makes you stronger it makes you resilient rather than focusing on we have a problem we have ways to fix it maybe not everything we cannot prevent everything and maybe we cannot help every single person that's been through it but we can do the stuff in between like there's so like hundreds of baby steps that still have not been taken and i think we're not even at that point where we're discussing it which is what's <laughs> yes. so ironic you know so for sure i i get that looking at the bigger picture can be daunting and feel hopeless but then you're just making it about you and not about the actual issue. 100%. I think that if our goal as as a community or as a university is to um, make a, a safe environment for their students and we're not comfortable with talking about the uncomfortable topics, then we will never, never get to that because if people don't, don't feel comfortable speaking up or, or sharing their experiences, then we'll never find out what is truly happening. Yeah, and I had had a, a workshop recently where someone said like, oh yeah, people who have experienced this stuff should just be way more open about it. Like if you told me about it, then like, then I'd take it into consideration. It's like, we should not depend on vulnerable people to educate you and like make sure that you are aware of the problem. Like you as somebody who's privileged and who has not been a vulnerable person or experienced anything remotely close to this, you should take those few extra steps to educate yourself, look up resources, because you can be surrounded and exposed to as many resources as possible. But unless you make the personal decision to change and focus on like what I was saying earlier about what kind of person you want to be, how do you want to impact other people until you make that honest decision to change and reflect and to, to look into yourself and your impact on other people, like nothing... That's not going to change. And I think there's just so much emphasis on like, oh, but the survivors, like they need to be more open or like we need to share experiences. And it's like, you know, if the system was built in a way that supported survivors, like they got justice, they, they received the treatment that they wanted and that they needed and such, like then I'd be like, okay, like we are stable enough to, to have that, that bridge crossed. But like victims get re-traumatized. They, you know, they are not believed. There's so much stigma around it and such. And like, that's not just with uh, sexual violence. Like it's any social issue that has vulnerable people who experience like very traumatic experiences. Like we just cannot expect everybody who's been through something to teach you about it. That's something that we can do ourselves, whether it's reading a book, <laughs> listening to a podcast, watching a movie about this topic, like anything. There's so much that can be done. And I think people just, yeah, need to, to try a little bit. And it's, it's, you know, it's not really up to the underdog at this point. It's like, no, you guys, you have that privilege to make a difference. And, you know, you don't have your stories questioned. So why don't you listen to somebody else's? Mm -hmm. And maybe, so the majority of our listeners today are probably bachelor's students, mainly in PPLE, but also maybe in other courses. Um, maybe what would be your key takeaways or advice that you would give to these people who may be experiencing party culture 
and new experiences in general at this time? Yeah, what would be your key takeaways from this? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, if you're having a positive experience and like you feel good about it, like checking in with other people or like at least the, you know, your friends or the people that you surround yourself with and being like, yeah, how are you doing? And like checking in with them in general and in the sense that like if you check in with them and everything's fine, like that's cool. Um, but if you check in with them and, you know, things are not fine and they're just waiting for somebody to ask or like really just dying for someone to pay attention to them, like I think that would just be such an amazing opportunity to give time and space for you know, to open up and learn about other people's experiences and understanding a world outside your own. And I guess that's also like a personal anecdote where I can think of like a hundred different scenarios where if somebody I came across at university asked me like how I'm doing or like if I'm okay, I would have felt seen and heard. And, you know, even if you don't understand what I'm going through, like you don't have to understand to be understanding. Like those are very different things. And I think that's, especially in my line of work, a lot of people are like, yeah, but I'm not a sexual assault survivor. How could I help? I have no idea what that means or what that feels like. So there's no way that I can contribute. And I'm like, that's the complete opposite. There's so much you can do. And like, you don't have to experience um, what I've experienced to be an ally to my fight. And so I think, yeah, checking in with other people, learning about their experiences, taking that time to educate yourself. And especially if you're if you're having a negative experience, like reaching out to people that you trust and that you feel comfortable talking about your experience with, like it may seem really daunting to open that door, but it's something like as soon as you get rid of those victim blaming demons, internal and external, then you start to see yourself in a new light, which is that you are a person who is important no matter what. Your experience is always important. And if you felt unsafe or un uncomfortable in any way, shape or form, that matters full stop. Doesn't matter the specifics of what happened, doesn't matter who it was with, it happened to you at some point, somewhere, and that already in itself is important. And I think, it's, it's both an empowerment tool for people to, to ask for help and to, to understand their own experiences, but it's also about, like you were saying earlier, about like a community-driven thing. If we all looked out for each other or cared about each other, we can bring each other up. That's the point. And I'm saying each other as if I'm a university student <laughs> now. But I just, yeah, I, I see so much potential to change and for it to be better. And I, I hope that happens at some point, but at this at this current time, I still see so many people with university experiences that they're just like, the university doesn't care about me. Or like, I'm just an ant in this hill and like I, my say or my needs mean nothing. And I remember what that feels like. And it's not a nice feeling. And yeah, so I think just recognizing your own importance, even if the little demons in your head are telling you not to, to trust that, just kicking them out the door and saying F off. I'm important, I matter, and I deserve to be listened to. And then also taking that time to, to listen to other people and working together to look out for each other. I think that's all we really ask of people. And that's what consent culture really is about. It's understanding that your impact is monumental and it might not feel like it, but it is. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, that really like resonated yeah. with me as well. <laughs> I do have one last question. You just said that um, a lot of us that are new to the city, new to the university, feel feel quite small, which I agree with 
Um, it's a giant institution. I don't know anyone. I don't know the staff, the teachers, nobody. What are resources or who can I reach out to if, if I want somebody to listen to me? Yeah, I think specifically for PPLE, like you guys have student advisors, like one of the like people that have supported us from very the very beginning is Martia. Like she is such a wonderful person, uh, Martia Myers, and she just she like has listened to me as well. Um, but she's a student advisor, and I think there's one other. I probably should know their name <laughs> at this point, but I think. Um, yeah, so you have those specific student advisors, there's like student counselors in general, like at the university, and there's some external help seeking options as well. Like if you've been assaulted, there's the CSG, the Sexual Assault Center, there's uh, a center for domestic violence as well. Um, and in terms of like mental health and suicide prevention, there's something called like 113, um, which is a, a website that you can talk to a counselor online. And same thing with the CSG, like a lot of help seeking options have added a chat function, which I think is fantastic because not only do people hate making phone calls, me included, but also if you're in a crisis, like, can you imagine being like, hello, how are you? Like no one, <laughs> no one's going to talk on the phone that way. So having a chat function is really cool. So 113 is where you can talk to like a volunteer counselor and they can make the phone calls that you're unable to make or like they can calm you down and stuff and make sure that you get the help that you need um so the big ones we always suggest is the csg for sexual violence 113 for suicide prevention um there's domestic violence i cannot say this name right but it's velik tice something like that <laughs> uh, but if you put domestic violence first thing in google in the netherlands like that's the first thing that comes up and in terms of like if you have any form of addiction in terms of like gambling gaming alcohol drugs anything that impacts your lifestyle like yelly neck is the center to help with uh treatment plans or anything like that and of course there's emergency situations you should always call 113 but again like help looks different for everybody where you might think someone thinks like oh we need to call the police it could be that they want you to call their mom or their cousin or something like that. So really make space to figure out what the person in need actually wants out of the situation. But a lot of people don't know about the non-emergency police, which is like regional police that is available 24 seven, but it's, you know, they're not the, the police squad or the ambulance that shows up. It's usually just a couple of people that check in with you. And um, so I always encourage people to like never hesitate to reach out whoever they're comfortable with reaching out to. But PPLE, yeah, you have specific student counselors that are directly for you, which is kind of nice because out of the bigger institution, like there's thousands of students. That's really, <laughs> that's a lot of people. Um, and each department and faculty have their own range of, of help-seeking people. But you guys have at least, I think, two student counselors directly for you. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for joining us today. Um, I thought the chat was, well, this discussion was really informative and uh, it resonated with me like a lot, even like something I can take on for myself. So I hope all the listeners at home um, also took something away from this podcast. I agree with that, even though it's, it's quite a difficult topic to talk about. Um, I felt very inspired today and it was even quite uplifting to to understand that there are resources, there are people that want to help and how we all have a huge impact on how our society looks like in the future and in the present. Yeah, exactly. We have we all have our part to play and you guys are 
contributing to that by making a podcast <laughs> episode yeah. about it and reaching out to me, obviously. Um, not saying that I'm here to solve <laughs> all the issues, but you know, that's kind of how OBOV started. It's just a group of students saying like more needs to be done and then we did something about it. And that's how powerful a few steps can, you know, can happen. And um, just in general, like if any listeners have more comments, questions, concerns, or want to look up more about us, like ourbodies-ourvoice.com. We have the help seeing options that I mentioned, like there's a specific tab for it and more about our, our team and our mission and vision and our workshop menu, obviously, but never hesitate to reach out in terms of, like I said, questions, or if you want to get involved in any way, but we exist to help you. That is, that is the goal. And hopefully we'll have more workshops in the next semester for PPLE. So you haven't, <laughs> this isn't the last you've heard of us, of course. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for having me here. And I'm, I'm super honored to, to be a part of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Hello. This is a trigger warning. This episode will discuss topics such as drugs, addiction, and alcohol. If you find any of these topics triggering, please click away now. Your well-being is important to us. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy this episode of Aim for Change. Hi everyone, I'm Holland. And I'm Nord. And welcome back to the newest episode of our podcast series, Let's Talk, by the AIM Awareness Committee at the University of Amsterdam. Today we thought we would dive into a bit more of a taboo topic, drugs and narcotics. We are going to explore a more philosophical perspective on drugs and ask the question, why do humans constantly crave this feeling of escape? To help us explore this topic, we are joined today by our guest, Reine Reik, who you may know very well from our School of Life workshops here at PPLE. Thank you for joining us, Reine. Before we get started, could you introduce yourself briefly and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, totally. Uh, thanks for the invitation. I'm really happy to talk about taboo topics. So <laughs> that's uh, right up my alley. Um, so I'm um, from my background. I'm a human uh, humanist. I think that's the right translation. I'm not sure. Uh, I studied humanistic studies. At least that's that's for sure. And uh, after that, uh, yeah through some winding roads I ended up at the School of Life uh, where I teach you guys uh, but a lot of other people as well mostly people who come just out of their own volition because they want to have a nice evening uh, I do a theater production now for the School of Life as well which is really awesome and uh, I have a coaching practice so that's me on a on a like a professional level. At a home level, I'm married. I have a wonderful husband uh, named Joost and two kids, two small boys, Tristan and uh, Jonas. And I live uh, in Drune, which is not very close by, uh, <laughs> but it is in the woods, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I grew up uh, with uh, an an artist and a therapist as of my parents, uh, which I think pretty much formed me <laughs> as all parents do uh, but in this case I think uh, uh, yeah it, it had a the impact that I am very interested in all things human and I'm really interested in the deeper layers that that are there to explore and find 
Um, so that's, yeah, for now, I think a lot of, of an introduction. Yeah. Yes, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, you kind of touched upon it, but I'm curious why specifically you're interested in the topic of drugs, drug use and why people feel compelled to use drugs. Yeah, so um, maybe it's good to mention that um, I'm not an expert at on, on it per se in mm -hmm. the sense that I have not... There's, I think, uh, a lot to be said for people who explore addiction or drug use from a psychological standpoint and also nav help people navigate that issue. And sometimes that's really necessary. But I think uh, from my philosophical background, which is a big part of uh, humanistic studies, um, uh, you, you can zoom out kind of and try to understand the use of drugs or narcotics in a, in a wider perspective because it's not not at all a new thing. Uh, yeah, drugs and uh, attempts to get out of your normal way of being is really of all times. I think there's even uh, apes that kind of use uh, 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 certain fruits to get in a, in yeah. a, in a mm -hmm. different state. You're nodding like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, it's 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 very very um, something that happens as long as we can remember that there are humans. There is some sort of forms of drugs and narcotics, so that makes it interesting to me. And my background, besides that philosophical background, I'm a coach and um, I, a very specific. I use a very specific method, which is called voice dialogue. I won't go into that right now, but. I think what is very interesting when you're looking into drug use um, is that you look at that topic of escape, not just from one perspective, but at least from two perspectives, from a polarity perspective, which is uh, something that I really learned to do uh, within voice dialogue. Um, but I'm already getting into it. Maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll first explore it a bit further just from a broad philosophical yeah, perspective is for that sure yeah. yeah yeah so for me the i think the drug of choice for most people if it's not alcohol it's going to be ecstasy right <laughs> it's uh, at least for me it was i wasn't a big <laughs> drug user myself uh but i did use uh, several different things as i think a lot of people have done in, in right now and in, in my age group at least mm -hmm. and uh, ecstasy is like the yeah, I think the most joyful one <laughs> for most <laughs> yeah. people. Um, and it's interesting to me that that word actually has a very uh, old root to it. Ecstasy is an old Greek word. Ekstase means to stand outside of the normal. And it is also something that is uh, very much in that old Greek domain linked to Dionysus, of course, the mm -hmm. god of wine and festivities and excess and other um, kind of uh, other variation of the same root. Excess is also about abundance, but also about too much or outside. So... Um, in those old stories of Dionysus, of course, those were the Dionysic uh, festivities. There's always uh, a lot of people acting awry, <laughs> acting uh, outrageous, uh, crossing boundaries and all of that. And I think that's an interesting kind of point to start. Like, what is it we want to get out of? And is it necessarily something that is bad? Um, because I think in our day and age we see, and there's always this mm, 
of course, um, for good reason, this this looming, yeah, looming uh, fear of uh, addiction or mm. or loss of self. But I think, especially in those old times where this this uh, ec- these ecstatic parties are also a way to revere gods. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, uh, and a lot, when it comes to reverence or praying, we are very used to the Christian form of that, or mm. the Buddhist form nowadays. People, of course, know about mindfulness, which is not the same as, as meditation, but okay, let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sidetrack. But, uh, but uh, at least those forms of, of reverence or religion, being religious and revering gods uh, is very um, self-conscious. Is very much focused on a, a, a kind of a still, a, a still way, or a, let's say uh, an internal way of connecting to God or uh, holiness. And if you don't believe in a Christian God, it is still uh, a way of connecting to that divine part of ourselves. That is very still uh, focused on stillness, which is awesome. I think it's mm-hmm. beautiful way. But um, in those in those Dionite, uh, I don't know the way to, to kind of say that, but those parties for Dionysus uh, are about excess, and you find that form of re- uh, of reverence uh, throughout culture as well. Mm-hmm. But somehow in Christianity, that got totally cut down. Uh, so Christianity, of course, laid over a lot of pagan religious religions and kind of for, lo- used those different, uh, uh, like Christian uh, Christmas uh, was really uh, midwinter, which mm-hmm. uh, and then they kind of drew over that, and they left out almost all those excessive parties. Um, so. Just coming back to that beginning question, is this, why do we want this? Or mm-hmm. I don't even know if you asked that question yet. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> Did you we, ask that question? I asked you what made you interested in this What topic? made it me? <laughs> I'm going <laughs> rambling already. Um, well, uh, that makes me interested. I like excess. Uh, I've, I've always liked excess. I've always been interested in, in, the, in the abundance, in the explosion. And... Um, uh, uh, in tantric traditions, actually, they see this form of reverence through dance, through self-loss, to expression as a female w- female way of praying, mm-hmm. and that is actually, uh, I think, a lot of the reason why in Christianity, Christianity, it got pushed out. Mm. Um, and there's more to be said about the relationship between Christianity and, and, and the female. There's nuggets of uh, places in Christianity, uh, more the mystic traditions, where it kind of still it, it got preserved there. But in like the big church tradition, the female way of being, uh, the body as a dungeon, really, <laughs> was... Uh, so everything that had to do with the sensational was pushed out. But of course, religion realized and knows that this cannot totally be pushed out. But it is made taboo by that that motion of pushing it out. So that's what interests me about it. Like, why why does does that happen? And is it really innately bad to want to lose yourself? I don't think so. 
I think it's a very natural, as we can see, because through all time, this tendency is there. We want being yourself is boring too <laughs> and tedious and and sometimes it's a prison. So natu- and I think that's apparently something that is and, and it's it's also about cre- curiosity in that in those boundary areas where we lose ourselves, there's new stuff to be found. That's there's creation there. They're like, hmm, what I can view the world through this LSD prism. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> it opens you up. So there's curiosity there. So, as, of course, again, um, we maybe have to l- talk later on addiction and all of that. But I think that is a natural tendency, that curiosity, that wanting to expand, to c- get out of your normalcy is a very natural thing. And it interests me. Yeah. Uh, as as I think it's a natural, uh, especially female longing. So would you say that like humans, this feeling of euphoria that humans are constantly like seeking for, do you say that that's like a natural tendency that every, or not every human, but like that's a natural human tendency? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I okay. think a longing uh, for, and that comes back to where I was talking about e- uh, earlier, like those Polarity. So there's the yeah. polarity of, uh, of self-loss or self-expansion, mm-hmm. and there's the polarity of self-awareness. And I think um, those both of them are natural and necessary uh, for t- for you to have an interesting life. Mm-hmm. There's you need some reflection, you need a self-awareness, but you also need to lose yourself and be okay with changing and okay with being affected and and and, and in, 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 in weird situations and 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 seeing things through new perspectives yeah uh, you need both of them to be interesting to yourself and others and to grow or at least to have an interesting life i think mm-hmm. and uh, in general in the west we focus very much on self-awareness that doesn't mean that everybody in the west is self-aware or doesn't need more self-awareness but it, i think as a value we push very much self-awareness we push like you have to become more self-aware every we at the school of life do it as well yeah become more <laughs> self-aware that's awesome and it is but it's can, uh, and that's something you I really learned. Both poles have like the, the sublime, wonderful, healthy expression, but they also both have a negative exp- expression. So the awareness pole, the, the healthy, beautiful expression is, uh, yeah, I think uh, something along the lines of openness and acceptance and uh, clarity, like have clarity on who you are or what's happening and that's wonderful that's so healing but it can also become control suppression uh, trying to self-awareness or can become very controlling or very tiring stressful mm-hmm. and i see most students <laughs> in that state in, more in that direction yeah. most of the time and it's natural in that phase of your life that you want that but when we really go into one of those poles naturally we want to even that out with something else and then you get to the other pole of self-loss or expansion and there you have that negative and positive expression as well so the ne- the positive expression would be to transcend to open up to new 
perspectives um, to um, celebrate, to really celebrate, like when you're really doing ecstasy or anything. That that's that's the quality of it, like the openness to the connection with people, the openness to the vibrancy of life. That's wonderful. That's, I think, the positive thing you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But it can become, of course, a, a way of just checking out, of, uh, of, of escaping, uh, not so much of looking for something expansive, expansive, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but ex escaping your lot. And that expression, of course, is not necessarily helpful. But they are close together. And I think we, you will, when you start exploring that sometimes you go in the wrong direction yeah. and you come back and that's okay um so mm. i think that's yeah that's at least what i really wanted to like i think that in the west we mostly forget that we also need to lose ourselves yeah and drugs are a way of doing that yeah can i ask then so this side of the this pole the um expression side and the losing yourself side like the fact that they're looked down upon is that because of the fear of that you can lose yourself too much is that why mm. it's considered so bad um i think that also has to do with just a his historical uh, situation that yeah. that differs also uh, in every country I expect. I don't know exactly yeah. how it's viewed upon in every se separate country. I think in general, um, it has to do with control. I do think that's true. It has to do with when you use drugs. And of course, uh, one thing that is, of course, a logical reason why uh, we are um, cautious of drugs is that there is the, the danger of addiction there. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as I know, for a lot of the drugs that are prohibited, it's not a rational decision, a rational divide that's made. Absolutely. It's an economical, historical divide yeah. between the s different types of drugs we have. It's not, in my view, at all based on logic. It's based on history and economics. Like, we couldn't ban alcohol now. That yeah. would be <laughs> an economic problem. And a lot of people would... <laughs> just rise rise up <laughs> right right so that's the, but since as far as i know uh, alcohol is much more um uh, bad for yeah. your health than uh, uh, ecstasy is so in in mo in like a normal use of course mm -hmm. there's excess there but so there's to me it's 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 a consequence of history and and economics and then The question, of course, could be like, where does that come from? I would guess that control is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, uh, Because I think it's really interesting how, like, in the Netherlands, they're very liberal about drug use. Obviously, that not everything is legal, but compared to a lot of other countries, and it's interesting how they aren't implementing this control as much as other governments do. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. I think uh, Dutch people even about the drugs that are uh, prohibited, are still pretty open about yeah, it, definitely. at least. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Although a part of why they're interesting is because they're 
illegal. So the taboo <laughs> is also part of why it's fun. So maybe you shouldn't just yeah. <laughs> legalize everything because that would take part of the fun away. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a good answer to why that is. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just something that happened apparently in the Netherlands and then yeah. you build upon that and build upon that and we're born and like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> but I'm, I have no good answer yeah, why that is. Yeah, it's just a historical thing, like you said. Like yeah. It's just the different histories of different countries. Yeah. Yeah. But in general, I would say something like that. It, it, it does have something to do with uh, uh, governments controlling mm-hmm. uh yeah, controlling people. And not necessarily f- through like a master plan of evil control. Yeah. Like, <laughs> some <laughs> Dr. Evil going, oh, I don't want any... That I don't... It's just something that grew. And that's actually something that in religion also happened. So uh, they banned a, and, and, and started to uh, demonize women and, and this way of uh, reverence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they kept carnival. Mm-hmm. Uh, and carnival is uh, like a religious party that that uh, and a lot of religions have this like a ritualistic forms of excess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramadan has this as well. It's the sugar uh, party at the end. I don't know the English term for Eid? it. Sorry, it's, um, in Arabic it's called Eid. Yeah, so yeah. that's the same idea of yeah. of first abstinence and then or mm-hmm. first and then abstinence something. So those two. Uh, are about regulating that, I think, that very deeply ingrained longing for party mm-hmm. <laughs> or curiosity for new experience or, or excess. Interesting, interesting. Um, I'm a bit curious because you do think people should be given the opportunity to lose themselves, but obviously, yeah. as we did mention, there's a fine line between yeah. that and going down the road of addiction so in an ideal world what would you see as being the balance and what should be done i've thought about this beforehand (laughs) because i thought that would be a natural question i think in the end i'm i'm pretty liberal so i think the less regulation is better but it depends on the country you're in uh so that it's also i think better for Dutch, for a Dutch <laughs> country, I, I, I'm not sure what would be better in other in other countries. Uh, so for me, the best way to deal with this question is on a personal level. I think people should deal with that question of what is too much on a personal level, and then I think the best way to use drugs and also make sure you don't get addicted to it is to use it with intent, not of course. That can be done in a in a in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be like an essay you write before it or something. But I think uh, a lot of the times where it goes wrong is where we kind of just oh it happened to me and then oh it was actually quite nice and then you start hunting with uh, to uh, towards it and that's like chasing the dragon and uh, you heard that phrase maybe mm-hmm. and that's like the ultimate uh, junky thing you you could do is like trying to get that same high you had in the beginning um i think we we of course it depends also on the drugs. <laughs> Heroin is a bit harder <laughs> to use with yeah. intent, I would say. But uh, I think the what for really like expansive drug use happens when you really make sure everything is right about it. 
You do it with the right people. You do it not uh, from a place of shame, but of a place of really choosing it. Like, okay, I'm curious about this. This is my choice. I choose it from my f- own freedom, from my autonomy. And I choose it and I, cho- I want it in this situation and not just, <laughs> oh, it happened to me. <laughs> and the best, best best experiences come from that, from choosing something, from your freedom and uh, making sure everything is, is uh, in, the, in the right atmosphere for you. And then there can be also real, lo- real uh, like surrender to it. Uh, if you do it in, in 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 secret and you're ashamed or it just happens to you, a lot of times it won't be that that expansive experience. It will be a shameful one or a sucky one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's your personal way of engaging with that. And when you do it with intent, I think the chances are you will not be doing it constantly because you will start noticing that it doesn't work that if you start chasing that dragon uh, it's you you know it's like it's not there mm-hmm. I, i'm okay hmm, then probably i'm just running yeah <laughs> instead of uh chasing that dragon instead of doing something that's really nurturing to me I'm, I'm I'm hearing myself talking like it's interesting to say <laughs> nurturing and in relationship to, <laughs> to drugs, drugs, but I think it can be if you do it in the right way. So that would be my answer. Like uh, how how do you deal with the the looming um, danger of addiction? To be in a weird way first very aware, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you lose yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm also wondering, because you did briefly touch upon it, do you think most people also use drugs because of the fact that it's illegal <laughs> and it makes it more exciting? Or is it this genuine curiosity for drugs itself and the experience? I know that th- things being taboo makes them interesting, but I don't know how far that, uh, would g- how far that influence is. Mm-hmm how far it goes. Um, also because I really do think that is different in every country. Yeah, I, was I, I, I expect in Holland it's less important. I ex- mm-hmm. would expect so. I don't know any studies mm-hmm. about it, but I expect that for Dutch people, although the first time is like, woo, after that kind of a door opens and then you notice a lot of people. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, right, I thought they were drunk, but that's what's going on. <laughs> okay, uh, so you, you open your eyes and, and you notice all of that. I expect then the whole taboo thing is not so mo- interesting anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About when you're like, where are you from, Holland? The UK. Yeah. So, I mean, amongst young people, there is big drug usage. And sometimes I think it even goes too far like it's dangerous the amount Mm. of drug usage and like you said earlier like the difference between using drugs sort of to run away from something compared to like using it in specific instances where you want to experience this new kind of escape I think sometimes maybe it can be more the former way of Mm. running away and using it but it's also I think peer pressure actually at least that's 
it I mean not everyone in the UK obviously but in certain scenes I think a lot of it is peer pressure and because everyone is doing it people feel the need to participate yeah um yeah. but I actually wanted to add what I thought you um was interesting about like do people take drugs just because it's illegal like coming here um and like the fact that weed is legal in the Netherlands like I've met so many Dutch people and like they've been like oh yeah actually I don't smoke weed because yeah, I've, like, ne- I've never smoked weed yeah it's exactly. just not it's so interesting yeah. but then like tourists come here and it's like the first thing they do they're like exactly. oh, I have to go to the coffee shops but I think so I think it really depends on the country or the person yeah um but I do think that it is a bit of both like just because it is illegal so like why not try it and then exactly. some people have a genuine interest in experiencing yeah. that yeah and something you're saying I think really resonates with me yeah the people at home uh, under peer pressure of peer pressure of course yeah that that's also one form of really losing your autonomy mm-hmm. and really losing your own volition or your own uh, agency that's the word I was yeah for. and then I think it's really hard to have a good experience even though the first especially the first time for instance using ecstasy but also some more trippy substances mm. might be still interesting or euphoric but i i expect when you're not really choosing it from yourself it still feels the hangover is probably bigger <laughs> i still yeah. s- if i uh, i s- not a lot but so once a year i'm like yeah let's do it yeah. and then <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy it much more because uh, there is like a real like yeah and then there's this build up and you do it and it's exciting and yeah. it's much more enjoyable than when you're pressured into <laughs> it in the back of some cafe and you're like oh, what what the <laughs> fuck just happened to me like that's yeah yeah so what is the role of shame in society surrounding drugs yeah uh, as with i think all things we uh, are ashamed about it's to get us to not do it <laughs> <laughs> to control it. yeah um and um i think uh, although we could blame religion for everything i'm not going to no, <laughs> i don't think <laughs> but uh, there's a clear in christianity there's a clear like big shame narrative yeah. like it start the whole story starts with shame of uh, Adam and Eve picking an apple, you know the story probably, yeah. and it starts with shame. So it's a it's a it's a way of 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 uh, socializing human beings. It's a, it's one of the most fundamental human emotions to uh, uh, be to be to become aware of what is allowed within a group and what is not allowed so the content of what is allowed and not allowed is very fluid but shame is i think probably as old as drug use and <laughs> all it's a basic human emotion that we need to be able to understand what is okay in a group and what is not okay in a group um so there's nothing wrong with shame inherently but it can be very very annoying mm-hmm. <laughs> a very annoying uh, emotion and sometimes uh not necessary in the sense um, that uh, uh, we learn it uh, or we become ashamed of certain uh, behaviors and then later on find out, no, actually, within this group or within this format, it's actually not necessary to feel shame for this or that. Um, so it can be a very annoying emotion. Mm-hmm. 
because it sticks uh, so well to us. We are really well programmed for shame and guilt. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, that's yeah. We're, we're programmed to have those emotions. So my from my standpoint, I would never say that, that, that you shouldn't feel guilt or shame. That would be like, I, I would give you a, an, an assignment you cannot fulfill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's good to acknowledge uh, that it is kind of a program that can have like a starting point of a useful starting point like yeah it's important to know what the group thinks is okay and not Mm -hmm. okay Um, but it can take on a life of its own a little bit like smith in the in the the matrix you know the matrix yeah 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 and there's the the evil program of this this guy in the black glasses Mm -hmm. who tries to kill neo he he just takes on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. It's he was uh, yeah. there for control in <laughs> and, and in a way for the matrix it was good, but then he took on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And that happens I think with shame too. Sometimes it's a basic human thing that happens to all of us and that's okay, but it can take on a life on its own. And sometimes uh, yeah, uh, uh, certain institutes can yeah, monetize it. Yeah, yeah benefit <laughs> off a of benefit it. Yeah. off of mm-hmm. it, and that's uh, things that we as as humans should be alert to. Like, okay, is this actually something that is there? Is is there a wisdom to it? And I think being careful with drugs is absolutely wise, mm-hmm. especially if you know yourself a little bit and you know you're prone to addiction, for instance. Wise to be careful, not necessary to be ashamed of your longing towards it, mm-hmm. your longing towards self-loss, your longing towards new experiences or expansion or connection, deep connection, and no shame about wanting it to be easy. <laughs> Pop a pill and there's connection. <laughs> of course you want it to be easy. Who doesn't want stuff to be easy? Like, that's all so natural. Mm-hmm. I think it's like interesting how in society like drugs and alcohol i mean sorry not drugs and alcohol um like nicotine and alcohol Mm. also counts as a drug but it has less shame around it compared to like more Mm. illegal serious drugs like ecstasy or psychedelics maybe there's less shame around alcohol which is interesting because maybe that's related to like like businesses can profit off of that so then they don't feed into the shame of course yeah and um yeah, I think alcohol has given me much bigger hangovers, <laughs> much worse behavior, yeah. uh, much more shame afterwards. Than so, the, 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 as I said before, I, I see no rationality behind that division. Mm-hmm. None at all. Yeah, It's just historical and economic, I yeah. would say. The businesses behind drugs are uh, uh, alcohol and tobacco are just too mm-hmm. big. And... Um, if you would approach it rationali- uh, rationally, the, 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 the line between uh, illegal and legal would be totally different. Mm-hmm. Do you think then if um, all drugs, say, were legalized, do you think the shame would disappear or do you think it would still be there? Um, I think, uh, well, what does happen with excess is that you, or uh, so I'm thinking of, uh, being drunk or uh, high or on a trip um, it does show you different sides of you Uh, it does 
all of a sudden you're like, fuck, I'm also promiscuous, for instance. <laughs> I didn't, I thought I was such a good girl. And it turns out I have that side to me too, that I don't know. Uh, I am thinking of the whore and the Madonna co- complex, you know. <laughs> like that—that—that's—that's that's a side of me too. And maybe you n- would never have found out that that is alive in you too if you didn't do of any of that. Mm-hmm. So smart to keep that under wraps <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to find that out. But it can be that you find, and there will be shame attached to that. Um, and. Um, yeah, I think that uh, I don't think that's just because it's illegal, mm-hmm. because it does open you up and does sometimes lead to behavior that you wouldn't have expected or wouldn't have shown if you didn't use that thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, it's not just about it being legal or illegal. Yeah. Something happens. That's mm-hmm. why we do it. <laughs> Something interesting happens, and they're like, mm, "I didn't mm-hmm. know that side of me." And then the next day, you have to deal with the outcome. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of it from that perspective <laughs> that you would actually like find out more about yourself and not like what you see. Uh, maybe <laughs> like, hmm, I didn't know. Yeah. Well, and then you have mm. to deal with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and 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 also see like, uh, do I want to uh, like embrace that part of me or mm-hmm. do I want to put it in the shadow? Yeah, all of that. It kind of links back earlier to what you said about the two polarities, and mm-hmm. there was one self-awareness and one self-expression. It's almost kind of links to the self-awareness one yeah. because you're having like this mm. self-reflection of what kind of person you want to be and, and who how you really are. Yeah, like and how you're affected by different mm-hmm. substances. Yeah, and and the whole question, and especially when you're doing more trippy stuff, the whole que- the the the. the the uh, the experience itself mm-hmm. already has that really reflective side to it, and then uh, afterwards you also, especially with more party drugs, then the reflection comes a lot of the times afterwards, which I think is a lot of times harder, because yeah. uh, sometimes you do really think, whoa. I I didn't expect myself to do those things. Is that me? Is that not me? Mm-hmm. Is it the substance? Am I responsible? A lot of great philosophical questions yeah. come up uh, uh, but they can be hard and they can be confrontational or shameful or yeah that's yeah. kind of the fear for many people as well about delving into substances like alcohol or drugs is like just what kind of person am I, am I gonna be yeah and I don't even want to go there because like I don't know if I can personally deal with that yeah opening up of who I am yeah and wouldn't it be great that s- somebody who says that can wouldn't be pushed exactly yeah to do it and just respect it in like they know their boundaries yeah and mm-hmm. and they, and for some people it's a really inst- interesting explorations and and for others it's not mm-hmm. um, yeah 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 it's so important to like keep it personal and not to impose your opinion on it of it onto someone else because that's yeah. where peer pressure starts <coughs> from. <coughs> and shame also starts from there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. So, um, we're kind of nearing the end of our discussion now, but we just wanted to ask you, um, why do you think it's ap- important to approach the topic of drugs from a more philosophical perspective rather than just looking at the medicinal scientific side? Yeah, because, like, personally, I never really heard anything about drugs from a philosophical perspective. 
Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's <laughs> that's, <laughs> uh, th- th- that's my. Uh, I think uh, for me the reason why uh, I like discussing such topics because I think they really go to the core of a lot of really human experience of the, the experience of being human. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, although I think it's important to have that medical perspective and uh, the psychological perspective and also all the warnings that go with it, although I think our addiction to phone phones have a, a much bigger impact on all of us right now than our addiction to drugs maybe ever had mm-hmm. uh, because they're rewiring our brains in a much more normal way, which doesn't seem like that bad, but I think it's... The impact can't even be fathomed yet. Mm. Um, So that's just as a side note. Uh, But I think uh, uh, addiction and excess and all of these uh, curiosity, also the question of who am I, is that that who I am when I'm high, is that who I am or not? All of those questions are so interesting to me. So I come from a place of real curiosity and interest and I, I think it's fun to talk about it mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if it's necessary but it's interesting and I, I get more perspective on it by not so much looking on it from that like you shouldn't do it like it feels so adolescent to me mm. <laughs> like it's so much coming from the place of control I see like you, you know uh, South Park yeah. And the, 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 the principle of you know, drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> like that, that sense of like somebody, t- that's not interesting to me. And, and, and I'm, I'm aware that I can say that because I'm not an addict. Mm-hmm. But that goes for a lot of people, probably this thing as well. Maybe most of, hopefully, <laughs> most people will in the end not become addicts. But those experiences are so interesting. And if you only look at it from that prohibition side, it's so it flattens them so much mm-hmm. and makes them so one-dimensional. And uh, and also it makes you a, just a bad drug user. <laughs> because you're <laughs> <laughs> you, like... You know, there's not like this real... Uh, real um, awareness. Awareness and, and, yeah. and also real s- a surrender or real experience that ha- has a, uh, an interesting impact mm-hmm. on you. And I think that philosophical perspective helps you to really uh, understand what it is about for you, why you're why you're doing it, or why you're not doing it. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. Like this whole philosophical perspective of drugs, I've never properly even researched or like known about. So this discussion has been like really informative. So thank you for the discussion. Like this was there so going interesting. There's going to be like a big disclaimer <laughs> on it. There will be. There <laughs> will be a disclaimer. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. It was, definitely. (laughs) And I hope the listeners at home um, also enjoyed it. Thank you for listening.